welcome back to another episode of Ales with Aslan, your weekly therapy session for those who sell for a living and those who help those who sell for a living. And I am so thrilled to be joined by someone, I think it's been maybe a year since this man has been on this podcast, but welcome back, John Sequera. Thank you. Thank you. Too long. Too it has long. been too long. We have to do this far more often. I mean, we do this every week. We've got to find a little slot for you once in a while, don't we? Come on. Well, I'm busy working. I guess I'm Mark. busy working. Maybe that's why. You're out there selling like all those <laughs> listening on the line today, hopefully. And we have a great topic because so many of us over the years um, have used return on investment as a strategy in our selling. And, you know, it's funny, John, when you and I were prepping for this, we talk about how you rarely go back and actually get that endorphin rush of actually having proven that you des you delivered return on investment for a client. And we have a real life example we're not going to get specific with, but we're going to share today. But first, John, I know there's something cold, frosty and refreshing in your hand and we need to talk about that first. There is. Absolutely. So, uh, so I am drinking, but I am drinking a beer from New Belgium Brewing called Old Tuffy. Uh, New Belgium Brewing is the is the outfit that produces Fat Tire. Oh yes, uh, you may be familiar with that. And Old Tuffy is an NC State, North Carolina State University yeah. themed beer. So that is my uh, undergraduate alma mater. And Tuffy is the name of the mascot, the 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 wolf with the puffed out chest. Uh, oh yeah. That's, so Tuffy is the is the wolf. So this beer is called Old Tuffy. And uh, that's what I'm drinking today. All right. Tuffy and it's where the brewing company is where it's not, not in, uh, it's not Rome, in Belgium. I don't know. You know what? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am sticking close to home and people are going to get sick of this. Cause I'm, I'm just drinking a lot of Boston lagers lately or IPAs. Actually, this is title town six one seven. It's done by Lord Hobo brewing company, but we're pretty proud of our championships up here in uh, this part sure. of the world. So, I'm going to go ahead and crack a 617. Let's see what that tastes like. There you go. Mm. That is a 6.17% um, alcohol by volume. So, Jeez, let's hurry up this podcast or yeah. you'll, be, uh, you'll be on the floor. <laughs> if I start slurring later on, we know what happened. <laughs> Try to stay in that 5% range, but it's not going to work out today. So, John, I mean, we, this is a great, great topic, and I thank you so much for, for bringing this idea to the pod because, you know, return on investment – it really starts with you're not going to you're not going to get a return on investment unless it's a strategic decision you make you know going in and so first question for you is really to think about you know when you were when you were dealing with this specific deal at the beginning in the middle at the end of the sales cycle when did you you know when did you come up with the idea that return on investment was something that was achievable with this client and then how did you kind of stay on it throughout the process yeah yeah good question so uh, the, the beginning of the ROI conversation really starts at the beginning of the training conversation framed up by the question, when we start talking about training, why are you training and when will you, when will you know that it worked? Yeah. And so that's a question that you know, in, in our business for sure, and I'm sure in a lot of other businesses, um, some kind of prospects, people who are you know, before being a client, come to us and say, hey, I think I want what you have. So in this case, I had a client who, when I was talking to them, they said, hey, I think we could use some different training. And that's great. And you can get very easily down the path of when do you want to do it and what do you want to train on and, and all, those, all those kind of pertinent questions. But it's, it's helpful to stop and just say, hey, why do you think the group needs training? And in this case, 
this was a pharmaceutical company, is a pharmaceutical company who uh, is trying to gain market share from the next two competitors. So they're number three in the market. And so their very clear answer was, well, I want to grow our market share um, relative to these uh, relative to these um, competitors. And so that was the that was kind of the big central theme of well, what are we shooting for? So we had our uh, area to shoot for. Yep. We didn't quite have a goal as far as how much of that we wanted, but we knew that's where we wanted to shoot for. Well, and it, you know, and as my listeners know, like I haven't always been in sales training and whatever you're selling, there are metrics, right? What the metric du jour in these different companies that people care about market share is probably one in most businesses. <laughs> I would imagine like they care about that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, revenue, right? You care about revenue. So the fact that you're having that conversation up front in this case with, with this, this pharmaceutical company of gaining share is very, very interesting in that and something compelling to them and, and important to go back. So that you had that conversation up front. At what point did you think, you know, once we delivered, what, at what point did you think you actually were achieving on the, the stated goal? Yeah, so we broke up this engagement in uh, a couple of parts where we first really aligned with the, with the senior leadership uh, and then built the program then rolled it out to the managers and then the salespeople uh, and then worked with the managers afterwards to make sure that they could keep reinforcing these elements. And so at the very beginning, the alignment with key leaders, we honed in on, hey, our goal is really to, to start gaining share from these competitors. And that's what we care about. And, and that's different than saying, we just wanna sell more because everybody wants to sell more. Of course. But there's the condition of, Hey, more is okay, but you know the market could could you know go up, meaning a lot more doctors start treating this condition, or something could go down. Which candidly, it actually it, it did right with COVID. You've got you know the idea of you know fewer doctors are seeing as many patients, and so you've got those undulations. And so what they really felt was a better marker of their success was let's look at how we do relative, how we perform relative to some of our uh, competitors. And so we started realizing we were getting traction on that because the actual training itself happened in uh, a couple different parts where at the very, the first training was where we launched the concepts of kind of building that foundation of, of, of receptivity with their target clients and then how to open up conversations and start really getting into early on discovery, not deep dive solution discovery but just some kind of qualification discovery before they started going into product, uh, you know, product pitches. And the time between the first set of training where we were focused on the earlier part of the conversation mm -hmm. yep. to when we came back to the, the more in-depth part of the conversation, reps and managers were already starting to see traction. They were already starting to see changes in behavior relative to prescribing behavior from some of their docs. So they were getting a sense that anecdotally this was working. They were getting conversations with people who they had not been able to get conversations with before. They were starting to see traction with the behavior change from their docs, uh, you know, earlier on that started leading us to say, Hey, I think this is working. We didn't have the evidence just quite yet, uh, but we, th but they thought it was working. And so 
that allowed us to really in the second phase of training to really put the throttle down into, Hey, now that you're getting into these deep dive conversations, how can we further adjust how you sell competitively, you know, really even calling those competitors out by name and just really speaking out, uh, speaking about how they, you know, how some of the buying decisions or the prescribing decisions rather um, get influenced relative to, to what competitor you're selling against. Well, and I'm, I, I love what you just said there because I think when people talk about ROI as a seller and as a business that's, you know, even marketers trying to sort of create this, um, this value proposition that we can deliver real tangible value in the form of return on investment, we always wind up with anecdotes, don't we? I mean, we wind up, right. with, we wind up with some really great stories, but it's often hard to quantify. And what I love about the story you're telling is, you know, um, just, just to summarize, like the two companies ahead of them, you know, have significantly more market share. Let's just say each one has like a third of the market and these guys are kind of a distant third. In a scenario like that, you start taking a point or two of share, it's worth an awful lot of dollars, right? So we're not yes. just talking about, you, you mentioned, you know, the, the dollar volume, but it's really, it's taking, it's a double win, if that makes sense, right? Because you're not only, you know, growing your own revenue, but you're, you're shrinking your, your competitors. And so mm -hmm. what a great metric to chase. I can remember just talking recently with a, a buddy that I worked with in the years past. And he said, you know, a lot of the competitors of the, the old APC business, I mean, it's where I used to work. I guess I can just say that, right? You know, they had immense market share. You start stealing a point of APC share, and it's worth $29, $30 million a year. I mean, it's a big deal, right, for, a, for a, even a smaller company. So I think this yeah. is a metric that anybody can get their mind wrapped around and really help their customers sort of chase. Um, and it's super exciting to see anecdotes turn into data. And I, and I love how you kind of lay that out. Yeah, it was exciting to, to get there when we, you know, when we wrapped up the project, uh, and I say wrapped up the project, the project's never fully wrapped. There's right, a lot of reinforcement exactly. development, but but after the sellers were equipped with at least the set of capabilities that we had identified that that would really move the needle for them, you know, it was exciting to, to step back and say, hey, when we're a few months out, what what does what story does the data tell us? And uh, and, and that was exciting to, to see that it was. It was actually founded in concrete numbers that, you know, to your point, represented, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is, I mean, obviously this all starts with an upfront conversation and helps establish the value of your solution when you're, when you're selling it in the, in the first place. But because we rely heavily on anecdotes and so do our clients as salespeople, our clients kind of go, well, it feels like it's working. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we're, we're noticing behavioral change, mm -hmm. so that it must be working. Mm -hmm. But what you did here, though, is you, is you kind of stayed with your contacts over there. And like you said, even when you went back, they were willing to, to probably do a little work, right? This, this stuff doesn't come for free. They've got to go dig into databases and look at look mm -hmm. at financial charts and they've got to check things, right? So what do you think made, you know, made it easier for them to go want to kind of prove this? What, what was your relationship like with your clients specifically that allowed them to want to participate in and provide this ROI data back to you? Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, I, I would put it as, as two things. Um, one, 
we were fortunate enough to be connected at, you know, an executive level of the organization. Yeah. And I say fortunate, that's a very, you know, that's a very intentional uh, approach. Uh, you know, these projects like this can, can get lift off from multiple different parts of the organization. But we found that the most impactful results come when uh, maybe the executive level isn't, isn't intimately involved in the program and everything, but they've at least bought into why we're doing this and can justify what they think, you know, the, the, the dollar amount invested based on what they think is, is going to be the output. And so very early on, the alignment at the executive level was pretty key. And, and we were able to maintain uh, some access to that level throughout the project, both in having them, you know, having that, the, this person uh, super engaged in the kickoff of a lot of the training events uh, you know, he was super aligned with some changes in the project as we went along, right? Some, some suggestions that we happened upon around reinforcement. And so having that relationship was, was super helpful. And, and oh, by the way, you know, he stuck his neck out to, um, to get this training. They had already had some training in the past, but he, he identified that it wasn't working quite as well as they would have liked. Uh, and so he really went for an incremental dollar amount. This was not in a budget. This was an ask that he had to make. And so, you know, I, I think it's, it was kind of part of his recipe where if he's going to ask for money, he wants to be able to go back and point to, Hey, this is what I asked for. This is what we spent. And this is what we got for it. And so by the time we reached back out, knowing that that was where his head was, um, you know, reaching back out to say, Hey, I know you've been measuring this. I'd love to hear what you've come up with do you mind sharing uh, that conversation was, was um, you know, right before he was able to really put his fingers on those metrics and come up with them pretty easily. Cause he's, he was looking at those. I mean, this is what, this is what drives his whole business. So he had sure. them available. I, I would say, I would say the bigger barrier to doing that is um, you know, from, from my perspective, going back and saying, Hey, what did the, what does the data say? Um, it, you know, is really in the idea that well, the, the data might not show the story we tell the story we want it to tell, right? right. So there is the element of I don't know what it's going to say. Yeah. We thought the anecdotes sounded good, but now it's about well, let's go back and let's see how it landed, and and so posing that question to him was not just hey, can you tell us how well we did and let's do a victory lap. It's really more, look, I'd love to look back at what we've done to see if it got the intended results. Because if it did, let's keep doing more of that. Let me help you with reinforcement. But also equally as important, if not more, is if it didn't get the results, what do we need to do to roll up our sleeves and do some remediation efforts, right? And really just sticking to the idea that we're here to make sure we're driving results for the client, not just, not just taking the fee, whether it works or not. Yeah. Well, and it's the age old adage that you can't manage if you don't measure first. And, you know, I, I love that you brought that up. I mean, the, this fact that, you know, there's a decision maker involved in every deal that we sell, right? I mean, there's, you, you may or may not know who it is. And if you don't know who it is, you, <laughs> your chances of winning probably are pretty, you know, dramatically lower. Um, but it sounds like the decision maker yeah. and, and, the, and the person with the sort of, you know, dollars on their own head 
was involved not only in the beginning, but throughout and at the end when it came time to have this conversation about whether we achieved an ROI. And, you know, what, the, the way we teach our stuff, John, you know this, like, we, you know, it's all about being other-centered. It's all about, you know, there, there, there is the potential that we're not the right solution for everybody. There's also the potential that this is not going to work the way we intended. But if it doesn't work, that doesn't mean we give up. That means we, I think you used the term, roll up our sleeves and figure out what we missed or what we can, we can continue to do. I mean, in our business, we've been at this 20 something years, right? Almost 25 years. And so there's probably things that we can bring to bear to, to, you know, improve the situation. Whereas if we don't measure this, we're never going to re you know, recognize that maybe this didn't do exactly what it was supposed to. And so I think it's a critical mistake if you don't go back because you're afraid you may not have achieved the ROI that you expected. Right. I think it's, it's kind of an immature mm -hmm. way to look at it. You got to look at it that you, you signed up to do something and it's up to you to try to make sure the client gets every uh, penny that they paid for. Right. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting. One other thought I was having about budgets, uh, you mentioned that, <laughs> you know, this was unfunded. How many deals for all of us listening on the, on the podcast are unfunded deals. You always ask the budget question and how many times you're like, well, I, I mean, there's no budget for this, right? So you're up against doing nothing. You're up against paving the parking lot. You're up against the new benefits program that's rolling up next year. Like if you don't produce an ROI, you're probably not getting the budget to roll out your project. And so this really is such an important key component of, of selling in general that we're talking about today. And I'm, I think it's important not only as a strategy up front, but to go back and clean up the details on the back end to make sure uh, we, we do have a customer that's, that's uh, confident that they made the right decision, right? And it helps us sell the next deal. So, so now that you've been, you've been able to get this great you know, data, you know, get back in your sales rep role. What can you do now that you've proven success with a client like this? Even without using names, how does this help you sell future deals? Yeah, uh, you know, I think there's there's two key ways. You know, one is the obvious one, where you know the next client that looks kind of like this client, uh, we can speak to. Hey, I've worked in this space. We know what's going. We we know how success is measured. And here's the the kind of the the broad brushstrokes of what's happened there. Of course, not naming names and not giving specifics that are bound by NDA, but just speaking to the next client who's saw, who's, who's faced with the next problem that looks like this and saying, mm -hmm. Hey, I've been here and this is, this is what we've seen as far as results. Uh, the second piece, which is really more around almost my mindset, it, I, I think it will, it allows me our solutions impact. It just helps to, to allow me with the talking points as I'm in the sales process from reaching out to, you know, a client that doesn't know anything about us, uh, you know, by, by being able to develop an other center position that says, Hey, clients that are looking to solve this, have found these to be the problems. And, and here's some areas where we might be able to help. That's a little bit different than what you've seen. Uh, to even deep dive discovery, being able to really navigate by saying, hey, you know, we've had some really good results in this space, but let me back up and see what's the same or what's different with your environment. 
Uh, and, and then of course, you know, when you get to the end of somebody asking, well, Hey, did it work? We, we have a pretty clear example, uh, and, and some, you know, believable quantifiable measures that say, you know, that's good to have. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's funny in my career, I've, I've always been in sales or marketing and sometimes in these hybrid roles where I feel like I'm in both and, um, you know, case yeah. studies, return on investment studies, these are things that really bring sales and marketing close together. Uh, and I, and I love, mm-hmm. I, you know, I love talking about that because I don't think there's a more important relationship in, in a company than, than sales and marketing really functioning highly effectively together. Um, but when you bring tangible data like you've brought today uh, back in, in, in the marketing people can work with the salespeople to create these wonderful case studies and, and ways and tools and, and calculators and things that can help future salespeople to convey messages that prove that the products and services that we sell can help clients actually achieve tangible ROI. Now I think we're talking, we're moving into that magical area where sales and marketing working together can actually really achieve much more than individually. Right. And so I think that's a critical takeaway that, that sort of brings us into our summary phase of the podcast, which is, you know, anything that can help you not only help the client realize the success that they've had, but help sales and marketing convey that to future clients that, that seek similar results that's a that's a that's a win win for everybody, right? I think it's a great yeah. great important point. Um, well, very good, John. So by way of summary, you know we've talked about a lot today, but some of the notes I captured, and certainly I, I want to give you a chance to sort of summarize in your own mind. But it sounds to me like achieving an ROI on anything that we sell with our clients really starts upfront with a question. I think you said, "What does success look like if we engage in this project together, Mr. Customer?" What does success look like? I think that's the way you phrased it, but really starting up front, managing it through the process and then coming back and sort of getting those tangible results from the trusted person you have inside the company to, to prove, you know, that the, the metrics that you set out to, I don't know, improve um, that, that those indeed happen. But, but what did I miss? What else, what are the key takeaways for our sales friends out there as they go off and try (laughs) <laughs> to build a better ROI relationship with their clients. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know that you really that, that you miss anything. It is part of the upfront conversation that uh, I think it, it goes back to being other centered. I mean, I know that we're you know we have the outcome where we have proof that what we do works, which then builds confidence in the next client, and that's all well and good. But it really starts from the foundation of before you launch into a project, before you start considering taking somebody's money, you're stopping as the seller to say, hey, if I take your money, what, let's be really clear on what you're gonna get out of this. And if we're not clear, let's pause for a second and figure out what, what the outcome is. Because if you don't do that, you can get in this pattern of you know, you're, you're doing projects, you're selling your solution, you're taking money, and, and then you know, after a while, you. you Oh, works or not. And so I really start with that, the, the very beginning, you know, whether you're going to be able to measure to the level of granularity we've been able to measure, uh, just at least stopping with saying, hey, what does your future state look like? And really parking on that 
versus having it become uh, kind of filler in your discovery conversation. Well, what I love about that is, you know, we all achieve or we all strive to achieve the trusted advisor status with our clients. And what better way to do that than with two things that you just mentioned. You have such confidence in saying that I want to stop and make sure that we're going to achieve the results that you expect if we do this, you know, if we do business together. That's showing confidence in the fact you believe you're going to because you're actually throwing a potential speed bump into the deal which no sane human being would ever really do, right? <laughs> because, right. because you truly believe that, you, that your solution is the right thing and you have confidence that you're going to be able to prove that. Or my second point is, then maybe we shouldn't be doing business. If you can't together come up with what success looks like, you know, maybe we're not the right fit. And if you put that out there, oh my gosh, you're going to make the client want to, you're going to hit the curiosity <laughs> gene Full, full throttle, they're going to be like, wait, you, are you walking away from me? Like, <laughs> Yeah, it, does, it, is a, it is an entree absolutely in the trusted partner uh, territory because, yep, even, you start that conversation from that premise, but also as long as, as, long as throughout the project you're able to have some touch points yeah. that, that get back to that, you know, the sponsor level, right? The executive sponsor, whoever really got the money and, and, and who, on whom the results really rely and reflect, um, you know, getting access to that conversation becomes a lot easier because it's really about, hey, I, we committed to getting some results for you at some point. I want to I connect with you uh, incrementally to just make sure that we're on track. And if we're not on track, let's figure out what to do. And that's a, that's a, compelling, that's a compelling reason for someone who doesn't oftentimes get into the mechanics of training delivery, that's, that's compelling enough for them to, to stop and think about it because this yeah. is, that's what they're doing any of this activity for in the first place. Yeah. I love that. You, you, you know, when you, when you commit to something jointly and you can reference back to it, remember when we talked about this, we said this was important to both of us. I'm just trying to make sure that we, we achieve that. I think you, you know, your chances of, uh, of both remembering why we're here and what we're here to achieve uh, go up dramatically. So John, what a great topic. Thank you so much for joining the podcast and bringing such a great topic that I think will be helpful to so many of those that are listening out there. Um, you can uh, find John on LinkedIn. He's obviously a great resource. He's an author. Um, you might want to go back and listen to the podcast when we talked about uh, you know, John's experience on 9-11 and, and, and the book he wrote and, and his selling career. He's a great resource and um, I'm sure would love to uh, connect with you and, and uh, sort through some things with you on, uh, on LinkedIn. So, John, thanks for joining. Let's make sure we don't wait a year for the next one. <laughs> All right. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. All right. And we'll talk to the rest of you in another week on Ales with Aslan. Mm -hmm.